I had Logan Paul on my million. podcast. Would Logan do it with me? <laughs> Logan would kick your ass, I think. Mm. You're riding a fantastic wave. How could you not make some mistakes along the way? Think How can you be for small government and then have the government dictate all these things you. in your personal life, exactly. right? You idiots. idiots. You got it completely wrong. Can't you just wake up <laughs> exactly. and stop? Exactly. I was walking down the hallway like a dotted bull with a needle sticking out of my ass. Tell me the five steps to like, to the gates of point where someone like you would say, I want this guy in my life. I want to help this guy. Hey, Jordan Belford here, the Wolf of Wall Street. Welcome to the Wolf's Den. We got an awesome show for you today. As always, it's a hybrid where I start off talking about a specific topic, and then we bring on a guest, or in this case, two guests, to crystallize the things I spoke about. You'll find this really interesting. Topic for today is basically how to move through life without getting screwed in bad negotiations. Because the people that I'm going to bring on after this really got their clock clean. It cost them from becoming millionaires. So let me tell you about how you can become an expert negotiator in one step. Now, let me just be real with you. There's great courses out there on negotiation. I teach them. They're extensive. There are many different modules it could take. You know, could take a few weeks to really learn everything there is to know about becoming an expert negotiator. But for this particular podcast, I'm going to give you that one distinction, that into itself, can save you so much heartache and can make you just an infinitely better negotiator and make sure that you don't end up in the position these guys ended up in where they can look back now and say, oh my God, if only I would have known better, I would not have missed out on X million dollars. And we all have these moments that we go through in life when we look back and say, damn, I just made a really poor decision there because I didn't know or I got out negotiated and essentially ended up on the short end of everything, right? So let's talk about that and let's talk about how to avoid that, right? So when I teach negotiating, I break it down into modules, but there's one overarching principle here that I'm going to drill into you right now. If you just know this, you're basically protected from the doomsday scenario. And that is before you enter any negotiation you need to know what the negotiating landscape actually looks like. Let me repeat that. Before you enter any negotiation, you need to know exactly what the negotiating landscape looks like. What does that mean in layman's terms? Well, you have to know what a great deal actually looks like. What does it mean to win? What would you get if you were like a great negotiator? Like me, I'm a great negotiator. I know everything there is to know about it, and I teach it, right? What would JB get if he was negotiating? What would be a similar outcome? That's called knowing what the winning negotiation looks like. And what does a bad negotiation look like? You know, if I lose, if I don't do well, what does that look like? You see, what happens with most people is they enter into negotiations not really knowing what they're supposed to get if they win. So they end up either asking for ridiculous things, in which case they're viewed as being idiots, as being, you know, the guy who's out to lunch basically doesn't even know what they're talking about. Like, it's the person that walks into a car dealership and demands a price that the dealer simply could never give them. That person not only walks out with no car because they get destroyed selling them the car, but they walk out looking like morons and word spreads quickly in this town, especially, you know, in this town, this world, right? With, with social media, you get to be known as someone who really is kind of not that quick on the uptake. So in other words, the question really is, is what should I be asking for? What should I not settle for less than? And how do I find out what those two things are? Let me tell you a story here. And it's, it has to do with venture capital and raising money, this is a very important conversation to have. So you might want to take out a pen and paper or at least maybe you know put some notes on your smartphone here. If you're listening, if you're driving, don't do that, right? But some of the stuff I'm going to say, you is, say to you here is just absolutely golden, right? It's nuggets, right? So I'm going to tell you the story of Steve Madden's shoes. Now, many of you have seen the movie and not read the book, so you probably have sort of a skewed version of what happened. In the movie, they would have it that Steve Madden was this you know, ultra-hot women's designer, the most coveted shoe company out there, and we got lucky to take him public because my partner was his childhood friend, right? That was the story, and the truth is entirely different. Steve Madden 
eventually became the hottest shoe designer out there. But when Steve first came to me, he was nobody. But a young guy with a great talent for designing shoes, and he had no money and basically no business to speak of. In fact, he was selling shoes out of the trunk of his car. That was it. He had one shoe. It's called the Maryland. He's got a, he had like five or six. He was making it a local cobbler. He'd run around, sell them in stores, and then go back and use that money and get more shoes made. That was Steve Madden's shoes. And my friend and junior partner, Danny, who was his childhood friend of Steve, right? He came to me and said, hey, you know, I think we could maybe take this guy, Steve Madden, and turn it into a real business and one day take it public. So it was a stone-cold startup. So he brought Steve Madden, crazy to think of it now, right? Because it's the biggest shoe company in the world. So he brought young Steve Madden into my office. And by the way, young Steve Madden, who was 10 years older than me at the time, right? But young Steve Madden, when he's in his mid-30s, right? And, you know, ponytail, same Steve Madden you probably see today, right? So not much different. And Steve sat down. He's like, wow, thanks for, you know, taking the meeting. And I'm like, Steve, tell me what's your idea? What's your vision? And how much money do you need? He goes, well, my vision is, I see, I, I love making platform shoes and I want to be the hottest woman shoe designer, blah, 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 blah. I said, how much do you need? He goes, I need a million dollars. So I said, okay, fair enough. I said, I'll tell you what, Steve, I'll give you a million bucks and I want 85% of the company in return. Steve's like, Really? You give me a message? Done. Thank you. And he shook my hand. I said, great, great, great. And Steve Madden sold me 85% of Steve Madden shoes, which wasn't even a company back then. We had it incorporated, but the deal was we formed an agreement. We started Steve Madden Shoes. I invested $1 million into this company. It didn't go to Steve personally. It went into the company, right? And I was issued 85% of the stock. So Steve owned 15%. I owned 85%. The next day, I turned around and sold off 35% of my 85% for $1 million. And I ended up with 50% of Steve Madden shoes for free. Today, that's worth probably $2 billion, right? But that's not because I was a genius. That's a very common practice on Wall Street. It's called merchant banking and laying off risk using private placements and other people's money. But what allowed me to get such a rich deal was that Steve Madden walked into my office not knowing what a good deal looked like. You see, if Steve was educated in this, and I'm not saying he's not smart because Steve is brilliant, but he didn't know about corporate finance. He didn't know about investing. He didn't know about going public. So Steve's like, I want a million dollars. And I said, 85%. He's like, great, thank you. Guess what? If he would have said to me, no, 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 I'm not giving you one thing more than 50, I would have said, all right, fine, let's do it. <laughs> like At 50-50, I would have given him the same million dollars. He didn't know. He didn't know what to ask for. In addition, there was other things that Steve could have done. He could have said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll go 50-50, but if I work my ass off here and make a go of it and really build a big company, I would like the opportunity to earn some of my company back. So if I succeed, I can get back 10 or 15%. If he would have asked me to do that, it's called an earnout. I would have said, sure, why not? Because it's really anti-dilutive to me as the investor because if he can build this huge company, that means I've made a lot of money on my investment. The point is, and the, and the particulars don't matter because I'm not trying to teach you about corporate finance in this one lesson here, but just gives you an idea of how things work. What really hurt Steve that day and ultimately hurt me too, and I'll explain you a secondary rule here in a second. It's a kind of a byproduct of this, right? But what hurt Steve, he did not know what to ask for. He didn't know even the fact that there were things he should have done before he ever entered my office to make his company seem more valuable to me. There were steps he could have taken. He could have written a business plan. He could have done financials and projections so that when he walked in my office, the perceived value of Steve Madden's shoes, albeit it was a startup, guess what? It already had traction, meaning he'd made prototype shoes, he put them into stores, and sure enough, they were selling. That's a very big difference than Steve Madden walking in saying, hey, I'd like to design a woman's shoe and sell it in stores. But I don't have a shoe yet. Give me money. 
So I probably wouldn't have given him money, but since he already had made the shoe, he got me that far, but I wanted the bulk of the company. He didn't make it even more real in my mind by coming up with a very carefully crafted, well-written business plan that at the end of the day showed that if Steve executed on his vision, I could make 50, 100, or even a couple of hundred million dollars. I wouldn't have thought billions as it turned out to be. You get it? So Steve walked in to a negotiation not knowing the playing field. He didn't know what things he should have in his negotiating arsenal. He didn't know what things he should have done before to prepare himself. And he didn't know what a winning deal looked like. If he would have sat down with a mentor first and said, hey, you know, I'm going to go meet this guy who's an investment banker. What should I, you know, ask for? What should I not settle for less than? They would have said, don't settle for less than 50-50. He didn't do that. So what does that mean for you? What that means is whether you're going to buy a car piece of furniture, even stuff in the supermarket, by the way, because I have a smartphone, but anything, even a job negotiation for a salary increase, how do you know what to ask for in a salary increase unless you do a little bit of research? What is customary? What's acceptable? What makes you not look like a greedy asshole? What are you entitled to? And of course, you want to push that envelope a little bit, always ask for a bit more, but the point is you need to know the landscape before you enter a negotiation. I want you to make this your mantra in life. Seriously, just whether you're buying a car, looking for a home, the information that you need to figure out what a good deal looks like and what a bad deal looks like is out there. No matter what it is you're doing, you don't have to fly blind anymore. It's all on the internet, and if you can't find it quickly, Ask someone who knows. Find the mentor. Find someone you trust who has experience in that field. And don't let yourself get taken advantage of. The reason this is the topic is the guests that I'm going to have on this podcast today got their clock cleaned. Now, I'll tell you who they are, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk a bit more. I want to give you the secondary lesson here. But the kids that are coming on are the two kids that actually wrote and produced the Jordan Belfort song. There's this song out there. Some of you might know it. If you, everyone who's younger knows it. It's a very, the song has had over 100 million streams on Spotify. It was the number one song of the year in 2015. It made these kids famous all over the colleges. And it's a song, you know, Jordan, don't make me sing, right? I'm not going to forget it. Let me just cut that for a second. But it's a really, really interesting podcast that ends with a cameo of my own son, who's an up-and-coming rapping star. So it's a really, really cool podcast. But to, to get back to the point, these guys had this huge hit on their hands and went out into the market to really try to capitalize that. They were making money, but they were then saying, wait a second, what's the next level? The record companies were all knocking on our door. What do we do? Should we sell? Of course we should, right? The record companies will make us rich and famous. Maybe, maybe not. We'll find out what happens after, very, very, in five or 10 minutes from now. But the point is, is that they didn't, and I'll give you a hint, protect themselves by finding out and checking what a great deal would look like. Instead, they listened to the people that they met with who talked quickly and elegantly and you know, painted a great picture, but they didn't read the fine print. And most importantly, they didn't, just didn't know what they should ask for. Don't be that guy or these guys. You got to go out there and research and find out what a great deal looks like and what a not so great deal looks like and then make your own decision within those parameters of what you'll settle for and what you won't settle for, bottom line. Now, one more lesson here in negotiation before we move on to our guests. This is another critical thing. Once you become a proficient negotiator, you're going to find that most people suck at negotiating and that you have an incredible edge in life, especially when you learn straight line negotiation, which is what I teach a real, a very organized way of, of getting the best deal in everything you do as you go through life, right? Separate story. But the one caution I want to give you here is that in a great negotiation, both sides have to walk away kind of winning. Just because you could out-negotiate someone and rip their eyeballs out 
does not mean that you should. And I'm not saying that because I'm a nice guy. So don't, I'm not trying to paint, oh, I'm a, I'm a freaking angel. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if you become a great negotiator and you go out there and you're ripping people's eyeballs out and cutting these amazing deals for yourself and leaving very little for the other side, guess what? All it is is the basis for a lawsuit. It's not sustainable. Because one day, like Steve Madden, and he got educated down the road as he became wealthier and he saw what happened and what did he do? He tried to screw me because the deal was unfair to him. Was it illegal what I did? No. Was it unethical? No, it wasn't even unethical. I negotiated with him fairly and honestly, but I just ripped his eyeballs out. I did. I'll admit that. It was a mistake because I was young. And I thought that the greatest negotiations were those where you got everything you could possibly get. But if you don't leave enough for the other side so they make money too, all they're going to do is screw you. They'll figure some way to worm out of the contract, something that you did wrong. And at the end of the day, it's not sustainable. If you hire people as an entrepreneur and you use the straight line system to sell them this grand vision, but you don't compensate them fairly, don't promote them quickly enough, just negotiate them down to like almost to destitution, guess what? They will leave you. And if you're out there making people sign contracts through clever wording and clever language patterns and then they don't get a great deal, guess what? They'll break the contract and they'll say, sue me. A contract is only there as the basis for a lawsuit. Anyone can break a contract. I'm not saying you can't take it to court because you can. But do you really want to live your life in court? If you're like me, you already hate lawyers. I hate lawyers. I, I literally despise lawyers so much. And some of my friends will have lawyers, right? But I hate them. They know I hate them. They're a necessary evil, okay? Because we live in a litigious society. But I try to avoid getting myself into litigation at all costs. And you guys know now I'm in litigation with the guys from Wolf of Wall Street, right? I'm suing them to get my rights back because those guys ended up being criminals. How funny coming from me, right? But I have a legal right to get my rights back now and make the TV series. So hopefully that will happen very, very soon. But the point is, is that you don't want to be living your life in court. And I can promise you this. If you become an expert negotiator and you are ripping people's eyeballs out because you're just a pro, they're going to resent you. They're going to talk bad about you. And ultimately they will find a way to at least try to screw you and you will end up in court far more than you care to. So, rule number one, know your negotiating landscape. Know what a good deal looks like, know what a bad deal looks like. Number two, in a winning negotiation, both sides have to walk away feeling good, and that good feeling has to be sustainable, meaning they get not going to say two years later, oh, wait, now that I'm educated and know better, oh, boy, did that guy screw me, I'm going to get him back somehow. Because that's what's going to happen. They'll try to get you back. And last, third little bolt before we bring our guests on, I'm give you one more little point here, which is important, is there's something called intangibles. One of the great tricks of closing negotiations and getting that little extra bit for yourself is knowing that there are certain intangible items, meaning they don't have a, a, an actual dollar value, but yet they're very important to the other side. You hold those things back in harness while you negotiate, and then you offer those things up at the very end to close the deal. They cost you very little, but they have a huge perceived value to the other side. So I want you to make sure before you ever enter a negotiation, always know what are those nuggets? What are those things that you can offer up to someone else that have massive value to them, but don't cost you very, up, very much? And when I say massive value to them, I mean massive perceived value. Perfect example was at Stratton back in the day. You know what the most valuable thing was? Believe it or not, how close your parking spot was to my car. As nutty as that sounds, I could offer someone, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a 2% raise in your commission and you can keep your parking spot or you could park four cars down from me and get noticed. I'll take the four cars. As crazy as that sounds, I'll take the four cars away. Perceived value, prestige. Don't forget that in every negotiation, you have those intangibles, all right? And with that, let's close this out. We'll have a short break here for one second, and then we'll bring on our two guests, and you'll have a bit of a laugh. That we was made, like, like 50K in, like, 
yeah, a little bit. It was making <laughs> it, was it was making a lot of money really fast when we first dropped it. And then the CEO of TuneCore or actually reached out to us and no, called us and said, "Guys, uh, like this is one of the biggest songs we've ever had on TuneCore." Like, so he was like. Oh, like, well, <laughs> like, we're yeah. not even a real record label. What's going on? You guys well, are doing numbers right now. Woo. All right, we're back here. We got two awesome Woo. young guys here nice. that have actually contributed to my own fame in some strange way. We got Wes Walker so. and Dill Rhodes, the two co-writers and producers and, I guess, singers. Or did you both perform? Top to bottom, yes, sir. Maybe, everything. Of the yep. Jordan Belfort song. Jordan Absolutely. Belfort. Jordan. I, <laughs> I've been getting dirty money, Jordan Belfort. So I gotta no, tell we, you, are, we are so happy to be here. Thank you for having us. I yeah. got to tell you something. So my, my kids were actually in college while this whole thing was going on. And my daughter's like, calls me. She was up in, uh, in um, what was it, Muhlenberg uh, in Pennsylvania. And mm. she's like, Dad, do you know there's a song about you that I just heard. So awesome. And I'm like, no. She's like, it's actually pretty good, Dad. She's like, e everyone is playing awesome. it in yeah. every party I go to. And like they're like pointing at me. She was in last week. I went to think she was in the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor football game with like yeah. thirty thousand people. Um. And they started playing the song and everyone started like yep. they started point I was like, you know, she was like, yeah. Dad, what are you yeah. doing? Right. So yeah. all right, so let's let's so much questions I want to ask you. Cause you know, here's the thing. When that song came out, People say, oh, are you getting paid for that? Are you going right. to sue those guys? I'm like, fuck no. <laughs> That's what I like, I like to hear. First of all, I'm like, yeah. I'm like good Thank for them. You, sir. <laughs> no, right, I'm like, I mean, who, why, why would I stop two young entrepreneurial guys? You had an idea, you executed on that. And I think what intrigued me most is that I'm sure many people had ideas like that. Mm. Maybe not that exactly, but like you guys actually went for it and did it, right? Yeah. yeah. So I assume that wasn't the first song you've ever created, right? You probably were rapping before that. Yeah, no, for sure. I was like, had been a DJ since like middle school. I used to do bar mitzvahs. You know what I mean? I was getting yeah, paid used, like a thousand dollars. We, we used me to him, do them together. We, yeah, yeah, we made a whole entertainment. Right, so like, Wes, you've been, the, you've, you've always been a DJ. Mm. Uh, so that was how where I started. But like producer is my main producer, bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dill, like, you and you. Yeah, I mean, so I've always been interested in music, and Wes was one of my best friends since middle school. So like he said, we used to do an entertainment company like events together in high school, and. Um, yeah, so we would always like hang out, freestyle, like make raps. He was more of the producer. He had the SoundCloud page. Like for me, it was something that like you know I liked rap and I liked freestyling, and um, that's how it came together. Like really. And were you making any money on this at first, or no, just having fun? So uh, no, way. we were making money from like doing music <laughs> stuff, but right. no, no songs were out that were popular that we were getting money from. We weren't really doing any type of shows. Okay, mm. um, and when... it was really a lot of just like fun. We were just having fun with it. Yeah, like um, basically, we when we dropped the song, it was like we had a few songs out on SoundCloud, but certainly nothing making money, and certainly nothing distributed to Spotify or sure. Apple Music. So it, we just dropped it on SoundCloud, and like nothing happened. Like it was out on SoundCloud the for over Belfort a year. Song, when, it first, yeah. what right. year was, when did it first come out? What year? Twenty fourteen. And how old were you guys? We were 18, 19, right? Yeah, so yeah. Just freshman like or freshman in college. It yeah. came out right around my birthday, so that would be January fifth, twenty fourteen. So I had probably just turned nineteen right around when it came out. All right. So what we're gonna do? Let's just stop for one second. We're gonna play. Uh, let's give this like about a nice. thirty second clip here of the song here, and yeah. uh, it's kind of catchy. Kind of like I when I hear it, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> but let's I'm sure. give thirty seconds here. I've been getting dirty money, Jordan Belford. Stacking penny stocks while I'm flipping these birds. Sipping on Ciroc, trip them up with the words. I done popped the molly and I think it's see my third. Jordan Belford. Jordan Belford. I've been getting dirty money, Jordan Belford. Stacking penny stocks while I'm flipping these birds. All right, so. Jordan, Jordan, well, Jordan. Bird, Burberry shirt, had to do it. Sometimes <laughs> when I uh, want to just drive my kids crazy, like I'll, if I rap to that song like that, just stop. They're like, don't, <laughs> don't, you don't know how to rap. You don't move like a rapper. Oh. Just, I'll torture them like on purpose. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? So, but anyway, sorry, so, all right, let's start at the beginning here. So you, sure. you release the song, right? And yeah. nothing really happens, which is kind of common, I think, for a lot of artists in the beginning. Mm -hmm. they You put stuff out there and no one really hears it. I mean, you get a couple of things, oh, it was good, but nothing happens, right? Right. I think that is one of the most common things that a lot of artists and entrepreneurs, just any type of business, overlook. Like, stuff takes a long time to, like, circulate. So we dropped the song, and it was over a year before it even looked promising. What? So, okay, yeah. so how, it was what, when you say it looked promising, it was defined... 
looked promising. What does that mean? Yeah. So it was it was interesting. It was a, definitely a slow build, but the first time it really had like its foot was in Penn State, and so we knew yeah. like a couple of, like DJs and stuff that would DJ around frats in Penn State, and then that kind of garnered it into like the Penn State anthem. Mm, so right. then you'd see all the comments being like Penn State anthem 2015, da da da, Jordan yeah. Buffett all day, blah blah blah. Um, and then, so that's where it really grew. And then, like, so in the same uh, way that two Facebook later, started at Harvard. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, really. Jordan Goldfoss started well, at Penn State. Yeah, I shout think, out PSU. You did it, Yeah, Mark. right? Shout out Penn um, State. I think it's interesting that you said your daughter was at Muhlenberg in, yeah. in PA because yeah. it definitely spread around in PA. And I don't know if that is, like, a little bit coincidental or it's because we're from Philly right. but I think it's kind of like a mixture of the two like I think it did just happen to catch on at Penn State it was the right place right time right subject so, so how many so, so okay so when you say you started catching on you started noticing mm-hmm. the view, the downloads the streams building basically yeah. and one of the big uh, like factors that I saw you'd see like the Penn State anthem and then two months later it was like Texas Tech shout yeah, out and then right. you'd see like LSU you, you know yeah. all the different kind of, and then you'd see the other schools kind of grabbing on as like the so, underground college anthem which was cool so you weren't actively trying to push this to university it was happening on its own yeah. basically well which I, is cool for yeah, sure exactly. it was very organic I would say what happened like so a year let's say a year later the song comes out uh, winter you know winter 2014 a year later winter 2015 we're still like a, maybe at the most a couple hundred thousand plays. So like we're getting like excited. We're like, okay, this song is promising. It's the best one we've made. But and we've never had a hundred thousand plays. Right, right. Either. We were like, we yeah, were like, yeah, maybe. that we like, were like, yes, this is exciting. Party. But like we also didn't know how to judge like what it meant. Like I, I remember just yeah. being like, this is awesome, but like what does it mean and right. what's next? So right. then it was about a year and a half after it was summer 2015 that the song hit a million on SoundCloud. So, like, just to put it in perspective, it took a year and a half before we even got to a million. And even when you get to a million, you're still like, like, is this is this it? Is it going to go to 10 million or is right. it going to stop at a million? So How you don't many know. songs get to a million? Do a lot of songs get like, to a million? Uh, to a million nowadays, yes. But, like, from where we are now, like, we have 35 million on YouTube and, like, 100 million on Spotify. That is, like, kind of un- unheard of. Like, there's a mm. ton of artists that are, like... You know, it's really, shocking. really famous artists that, don't we, that right. yeah, don't, don't, don't have, have nearly, nearly that. So when did you guys decide to shoot the video? So, yeah, we have a, a really, we would love to talk about the video because Let's talk it's such it. a great story behind it. Like, what a lot of people don't know is that we were not working with any major label. We were 100% independent when we went to shoot that video in Miami. And we, like, had no support. It was literally me, Wes, and our friend Yofre from College Weekly. And so he was, like, the director behind the video. And we, we had, actually, like, a lot of, like, fraternity and sorority connections nationwide. Miami, but also, also in Miami yeah. to, like, help out with the stuff. But sure. that was, like, a main thing where, like, all his college dealings went, mm-hmm. like, perfectly in line with what yeah. we're, we were doing. So Have you ever seen the music video Save That Money by Lil Dicky? No. So in the music video <laughs> Save That Money by Lil Dicky, right? He goes around to like mansions. I think it's in LA or something. He goes around and he like knocks on the door. He's like, hey, I'm Lil Dicky. I'm a rapper. Can we make a music video here? We just want to use your giant mansion for a few minutes and we'll be gone. Like so for made free. This, the whole thing like is for like free. trying yeah. to do a, a the song's, saving the most money but yeah. making it look the best. Like it's called Save That Money. So I, in many ways, we were like the OGs of that because we went down to Miami, no money. Like, no money at all. Like, I had to sell stuff to get my flight ticket. And, like, my parents were, they, they weren't not helping me at this time for other reasons. <laughs> so I had to sell stuff to get my flight ticket. And we sent it down to Miami with, like, very little plan. We ended up networking with some kids that Yofre knew from UF, got a giant mansion right on the beach to shoot the whole first scene that you see with Wes. Then we literally, let's see, what are the, the yacht. another girl who got this the yacht. yacht. We, also, it was a very magical day because we ended up being like the only yacht in the Miami Bay. And so we were getting the crazy drone shots and it just looks like so, it's just the one boat and then it slowly zooms in and it's just yeah. like us. You know what I mean, it's like, how, how, how do we get that one time where there's no other boats? And it's like, the crazy part is how did we get that yacht? Like, uh, it, so basically, Yofrey knew this girl. And have you ever seen those sorority videos where it's like a recruitment video? They kind of like throw glitter and the girls are dancing and looking pretty. Well, he's done a video like that on this yacht before. <laughs> so that girl who's, who, whose father owned the yacht right? loved Jordan Belfort, loved the song. This was, <laughs> he was like, I'll, I'll yeah. drive you around all day. We'll, so we'll, he we'll loved get some it drinks too. out, some champagne glasses. <laughs> yeah. So that's why we essentially get this huge yacht, like, 
a ton of girls on the boat. We're around, we're allowed to spray champagne. And on where the, the girls? Where the girls I mean, come from? Just we got, we got like two sororities. So we knew a couple of them already, but right. most of them they were just like bring the friends. You know what I mean? We're just gonna make it look crazy. Yeah, like we literally just kind of used social media. Like the we had a really unique situation because the song was already pretty popular. Right, like people right. knew it. College right. students knew it. Sure. Anyone outside of college right, scene? Know. Yeah. No idea, but college but students there was like excited to be a part of it too. Sure. They were right. like, "Oh my god, you guys are doing the Jordan Belfort music video!" Right. I'm there exactly. Like, so it was like easy to bring people out. We got so much support from all the people in Miami who I don't know any of them. I haven't talked. I haven't even talked to them again. But they were just <laughs> so supportive and they loved the song and it was so like grassroots and organic. Right, right. And like the whole video, we spent one to two k on it, and that's like including our flight tickets, which is the most expensive part. So, the most wow. expensive thing was yeah. probably like the Lambo, which we got. Lambo. It was four hundred dollars originally for the day, and then he like screwed us. Where like eight <laughs> people showed up to shoot, and he just didn't show didn't up. Show and we up. were like, "Yo, like we just we're paying for like a production yeah. right now. We got to like get this together." And then so we got it for two hundred bucks the next day. Like and all then day. What we, and then it was like, we got like a breakaway glass bottle, and that was like the second most expensive thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we really did it seriously. I right. mean, we just had like a really great crew, a really great team, as well as like. That organic support. Yeah, sure. and so, College it, with you definitely helped us out a lot. Just Yofre yeah. like did a lot of like the production. So he got like the drone people to come through for free. Oh, and yeah. blah, 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 blah. It's got to be a bit we, of a dream fulfillment for two young guys, right? It, Where it like was. you go from obscurity because you guys, no one knew who you were, 100%. to guys were my, superstars. My, I mean, my, guys, my, everyone was listening to the song. My yeah. favorite stuff was like when we go to like smaller towns. Like if if you're in New York or in LA, we were still big stuff, but we weren't like right. There's a know, lot of stars. It's, yeah, there. It's, it's huge. It's a huge spot. When you when we go to some place like Troy, Alabama, or Lubbock, <laughs> Texas, we are. Right, you know what I mean? Like people are like, "Oh my God, they're in!" You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we'll get like two, three thousand people to show out in like a pop up show. Well, you know that, what I mean? Like people just be like, "Oh my God, they're here! They're here!" They're here. It's like, yeah, right. The small towns because stuff just goes around so fast. We'll sure. be at like the local Denny's, and someone would be like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, I think that what was also really unique about Jordan Belfort is it touched a lot of people around the country. Like it was popular in." You know, some small town in Louisiana, sure. but it also had this like cult following in a big city yeah, like yeah, New York yeah, with yeah, like yeah. the college students sure. or whatever. But um, so, so I, tell me now. Let's talk. Let's go back. I want to yeah. focus on a different thing. Tell me what the what was it about the movie? Now let's talk about what made you make this song. Obviously, you yeah. guys love the movie. What was it about the movie that you think makes it such a, a connection? To people of all age, but let's talk yeah. about young people right now. What is it about? Is it is it well, is it the ins the beautiful girls, the Margot Robbie? Is it the, the insane drug use? Is it the entrepreneurial aspect? Is it getting to live vicariously? What is it? I think so. I think in a lot of ways, the movie was so influential because it just shows like a lifestyle that most people aspire to. But I think the kind of like risky side of it. Like all the drugs and the craziness just adds this this kind of like fantasy appearance to the whole movie. And and like in many ways, like the you know, when writing the song, I was kind of thinking of like, for example, there's this Rick Rick Ross song. It's like think I'm big Meech, Larry Hoover. Like I was just thinking of like these songs where they're like calling out like successful, like kind of rich people. And and so like I think that's where it came from. It was just like, oh, this is the this is the new guy. Like this is the new guy. Like I saw that movie and I was hooked. I mean, I was like, this movie was amazing. It, it, you know, it touches on that partying. Like, I was young. I'm like 18, it was 19. That, like, that whole year when yeah. it came out, everybody wanted to be Jordan Belfort. Everybody. You know what I mean? Everyone was just like, yo, I just made $10 at the casino. I'm fucking <laughs> Jordan Belfort, baby. Like, <laughs> How right. much of it, though, do you think they, how many people do you think watch it and walk away with the right message, though? Saying, like, that. Okay, I love everything. I don't want to get in trouble and go to jail, though, right? Uh, do you think, yeah, do you think yeah. most people, or you think people say, I don't give a fuck. I just want to get rich. I want to, in other words, is it, what message really yeah. do young people get in this? I, I think that's a really uh, great question because I see people online all the time and they'll be like, all these kids who like the Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street movie, they're not getting the real message. You know, this is a message about, you know, some guy who did something wrong. And like, I hear that side of it, but I think those people might be like overthinking it. Like I personally like see the, the negative side of it where it's like, you know, stuff went, stuff went wrong and this is kind of what can happen there's that side of it but it's all about fun for me and for i think a lot of other viewers like and it's fun. Way, i think what you're saying is and yeah and you can talk in a second i want to get your opinion too is that like i assume people are smart enough and they've been raised well enough to know 
that, okay, yeah, I, I love the whole thing. I don't want to break the law and go to jail or anything. Right. But I love, like, you could actually look at something and say, I'd like 98% of that life and take away the part that was causing him to go to jail, right? I think people are smart enough to know that. Wes, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's definitely like the um for for the most average person, like they they know what to take away from that. However, I've seen the situations where people take it all the way the wrong way, even right. from just the song, and I'm sure it it's, it's goes both ways right. with the movie sometimes too. But there was like one time we were doing this frat event, and this guy came up to me and was like, "Yo, I just brought like an ounce of Molly. We're getting so fucked up tonight." And I was like, "Just because I said that in the song, like, doesn't mean that I'm about to. That's like really what I'm all about. Twenty, you know what I mean? Like, and and and, and if if I, they really knew, they sure. would know we were just having fun. Sure. We want that feeling of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you don't actually really have to, yeah. to now, do it." The question is, though, would that person have done that anyway? In other words, that's a like, yeah. No, like, he was already people like yeah, that. Yeah. I think so. Someone's gonna my my opinion is, and listen, maybe I'm not right, but I think I am. Is that people who are gonna be breaking the law, predisposed to certain behaviors? It's not like I saw the movie or I heard your song, yeah, and now and now I'm gonna. I'm that's gonna it. Now I want to go yeah. out and, and change him. It's almost just basically it, it, not even a trigger, by the way. It's just something they can refer to. It's like after the fact, mm -hmm. and I think yeah. people are smart enough. Now I know, for instance, you had some challenges because you wrote me a letter. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And you said you went a bit fucking hog wild, right? With, yeah, with drugs a or something. Bit, a little, yeah. I, so I had an issue. Like this was kind of my senior year at Tulane University, where it's hard to. Be normal in New yeah, Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. <laughs> and I've been there. It's yeah. true, right? Look, little bit of Mardi Gras. Little yeah, bit of sure. Mardi Gras taken too far. Drugs involved for sure. I was in a tough place. Like I got in this place, and it was definitely fueled by drugs. Where like I just needed to take a step back and like take care of myself. And so I sent you know Jordan a letter, and just just because like you've always been kind of a role model, and I think there's always been like look, we've never even met before. I responded to though, but yeah, yeah. So you hit me back, and and by the time you hit me back, I was already kind of like I had to t I took some time off from school to like deal with it. I got my shit back together and ended up graduating that same semester. But um, yeah, I mean like. I just reached out to you to because I thought maybe you'd be someone to talk to. Like I know how you've gotten over those similar kind of issues, but like, yeah, I mean, I think we all all have problems. Like I've had my own experiences with drugs, and you know, it's like made me into who I am today. Like sure. I'm a lot more. I mean, even with this whole experience, right? We were 18, 19, thrown into this situation where we're like partying every single right. weekend, drinking every yeah. single weekend, and so that takes a little bit of a toll on you. And I think you know now here I am, 25, like six six years later. And I'm definitely like in a little bit more control and stuff. And uh, so, was, yeah, it's been a learning learned. experience. Let's talk about the financial side. So, how did it work yeah. financially for you guys with this song? Um, so, right off the rip, when we were making it, we didn't really think it was going to be big. Yeah, so, we, we were just like, uh, we're not even going to think about it, but like 50 50, whatever. And right. so, that's kind of just where we went with that. And then we first put it on TuneCore, which is like an independent, you pay 10 bucks to get your song on Apple Music and Spotify. And what that. sure so but the cool thing about TuneCore is that you get a hundred percent of what you get they're not taking anything where normally mm -hmm. if you'd go through like a first a record label they're taking some large percentage if you're going through another one of those independent services they at least take like ten percent so charge for like downloads that. that on TuneCore is that how you get money or no how do well, you no, well, they they make the ten dollars yeah and then how do you make your money once it's on TuneCore uh, oh so through iTunes purchases purchase streams Spotify streams it, it, it's it's also yeah. cool because we went through a very evolutionary like through right as when the this music first started, industry was changing yeah too. exactly changing, like it was more yeah. like the ninety nine cent purchases on iTunes and now it's almost 100% streaming, streaming. Yeah, yeah yeah Spotify so now it's like it's always this weird algorithm of like 0.006 to 0.008 cents per stream depending on the month and like it's a very yeah um, we, we've got a good feel for it now but it's it's we it we, changes all we the time. released the song like in 100% independently on TuneCore and like I said it took it, that we was made like, like it took, 50k and like a yeah, little bit. It was making <laughs> it, was it was making a lot of money really fast when we first dropped it. And then the CEO of TuneCore or actually reached out to us and like called us and said He was like, Hey, hey have uh, you guys even logged have in? Have you guys like logged <laughs> like first of all, we were on it every day. We knew exactly what was happening. Uh -huh. But he called us and was like Guys, uh, like this is one of the biggest songs we've ever had on TuneCore. Like, do you guys know that you're selling like thousands and, like, of they, they of songs make their per money day? by basically the ten dollar song that they put on and that person, you know, most of the songs they get, like, they don't make any money. You know what I mean? So they're just getting all these weird little independent artists that don't really make that much money right. to get their $10. So he was like, 
oh, like, well, <laughs> like, we're yeah. not even a real record label. What's going on? You guys well, are doing numbers right now. The game has totally changed now, though. Like, TuneCore is now distributes a ton of music. I'm sure they've had bigger hits than Jordan Belfort, but back then, it, maybe, it was really, maybe not. It was really, it was really unique, but um. And you know, like we were making great, like we were making a lot of money we'll off find the a sales, lot of money. like thousands of dollars per day, like, and that was a lot at the time, like, and this was before the song really got as big as it eventually did. But so we that didn't. Was the, so that was your first bite at the apple, right? Was that right. money yeah. too cool? And, what happened next? And so we, honestly, in my opinion, like we didn't know how to judge this amount of income like we didn't know like okay could it stop tomorrow like could, yeah could it yeah. stop tomorrow so so right up right up rip we should have left it on tunecore we should have just left it, <laughs> we should have left it on tunecore no you know we're but 18 we got, 19 we don't know everything about like this industry we're still learning i, I so. also i say that but i immediately was like well we had to go through the whole process of everything to learn everything that we do now and we did so basically we signed it with Atlantic Records. A ton of people reached out to us. A Sony, lot. Epic Records, like every record label pretty much ever was reaching out to us. But because we were kind of like first time artists, we had our, our lawyer look over everything and they were like, this is, they're kind of screwing you over. So the first time we got with Atlantic, this was the first time we got like an okay deal that was like, just because like we weren't established artists. Like, sure. it, and they didn't what, what was the deal? They didn't understand the absolute What was growth. the deal? So it was... It was fifty thousand dollars advance plus eighteen percent royalties on the song. So they purchased the entire song outright from us, basically, and there was like an agreement for one follow-up song in it. So we essentially gave up like eighty-two percent of the royalties of the song for for the advance. And so at the time, well, we you were, guys are making thousands a day. Why would you do well, fifty grand? So like really, at the time, well, like, we, we, we thought know. being with Atlantic Records was going to be a little bit more valuable than it was you know what i mean we yeah. thought getting into a true record label now we're like fuck record labels they don't yeah. do anything but like you can do everything independent right. way much better you know what i mean sure. just with a small team or just with yourself sure. than a record label do because they're I mean, not giving you the so extra they gave, like, okay so they get 50 grand and what did you think was going to happen at well and this was also in the beginning so like with the money like we were making a ton of money but we were thought that like we didn't think it was going to get that much bigger. Basically. Yeah. Before we, the video? We, we were almost, yeah. Here's, uh, here's the thing. It this was, is no, around it was the same the video. time. It was after the video. We sold them the video, too. We made the oh, video right, right, right. 100% independently. We sold it to them. They they wanted to buy it because of the video. That was a huge factor in it. But, um, yeah, like, we, we basically just didn't know what to expect from the song. And the other thing is we had people from the record label and everyone in the industry, right, is telling us, like, oh, you better you better take this deal. Like, there's a chance to work with Atlantic Records. Like, yeah, and, it's like you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. This is, like, set right. in stone. Like, get the advance. And, you know, if shit goes wrong, take the money and run. It's in advance, blah, blah, blah. There was this element of genuine confusion in the industry about soundcloud and internet songs so like this was at a time when there was still some level of like we don't know how this stuff works yet so right so like in talking to people in the industry like at this time no one could say like if you get a million views on soundcloud is it going to keep going or could it stop getting views tomorrow sure and and it was just like a time where like we didn't know we had people trying to convince us to take the deal it's so being took it, smashed but. into the industry so like how that much did you weird. make after you sold it to atlantic records so like I would say we made like six figures, very, very low though, like, uh, like you know, just barely six figures. And no, I would say closer to like four or five k, four or five hundred. Well, uh, including some. Random oh, together, like together. Yeah. I mean, it maybe. Well, if you include like our tour and everything, but let's just talk about from Atlantic. I oh, think yeah, it was yeah, like yeah, yeah. low six figures. And the truth is, like, if we would have remained independent, that song should have made us millionaires. Like that song should have made us millionaires straight up. And. We we got we took a deal that was like first deal foot in the door, but it was not the best deal for us. Like it was, you know, and that's a learning experience. I think that's part of entrepreneurship. I think that whether you're in music industry or whether you're in a different line of business, like your first deal is always is always going to be one that you're going to look back on and say, here's there's some things I could have done better. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's true, and also it shows you the the importance of having a mentor. Not what you guys really needed was a mentor. Absolutely, like my friend Larry Rudolph, who managed. Just Aerosmith and Britney Spears, oh, and nice. you know, and others like he would have said to you, "Don't freaking sell that." You know? Yeah, no, we we need someone that okay. had like but crazy listen, you learned, faith in so, us. So okay, so if it's so if you would have kept it a, uh, the way it was on, was a tune was tune chord? It was distributed, yeah, tune chord. What, what do you think you would have made just if you would kept the whole thing? Yourself? I think we would have both been what's, millionaires. Uh, 
I mean, let's look. Let's do a simple number. Yeah, yeah. Spotify streams. Those Spotify streams we have are worth like Wait, a po- half a mil. Point oh oh eight is the general thing for Spotify. It's kind of high, but they're worth point oh seven. Yeah, they're worth between like the Spotify alone worth between like a half mil and a million. Worth meaning in one the shot. Sh- or, the streams or, pay out. So a hundred million streams is going to pay out something like. It's a wide range, but it's like three hundred k up to like eight hundred k, depending okay. on depending on the countries they're streaming it in and, okay. and stuff like that. And that's Spotify. That's then, only yeah, Spotify. just Spotify streams is getting us ninety nine hundred eighty. Yeah. So. And how about um, you know iTunes? And, yeah, you know. I mean the other thing is like we we didn't even talk about this yet. Um, when you were talking about the girls, I wanted to bring it up, but like we did a tour, like we did forty to fifty independent shows all over the U.S. I've been to. Like every big party school, we've been there. Pretty much every like state college, state even college, smaller places. Like we went we, to Barcelona. So many. Like yeah, we made a couple it to overseas Europe. things. And yeah. that, what was your biggest audience, Jim? Uh, it was fifteen thousand numbers fest in Ohio. We opened for no, no, Fetty Wap and the Chainsmokers. The Ray Schremer show was even bigger. That one was at Duke. Yeah, Ray Schremer. We did. We opened for oh, Ray Schremer at Duke. That was really cool. Um, but yeah, no, we did some. We did some really awesome shows, and that made us some money as well. And those people, the people that booked our shows, like they did us well. Like they worked pretty hard for us. We did a lot of shows in a year. Right. But like, I honestly think the record label really did not look out for us. Like they could have done so much more. I mean, listen to this. It was just the kind song, of disorganized. The song like, if went we had platinum. Like a, any sort of team. When the song went platinum, I got a platinum record. Like. I posted about they didn't even do like a press release or like any kind of like blogs or articles about our song going platinum like uh, song hits 100 million streams. Nobody even said anything. Listen to this, you know, like on Instagram music, they don't even have Jordan Belfort on Instagram music because someone at Atlantic Records hasn't pressed the button yet. And it's ridiculous. Like you can't even look up Jordan Belfort to put it on your Instagram story because because nobody nobody cares, like which is disappointing because, you know, when we sold that song we yeah, were, we were like that we yeah, were gonna you guys get are gonna about to have our backs is right. gonna be we're gonna have our backs we're gonna, gonna get a proper them? you guys called them and complained and 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 um that's a good question like yes Not a little a... bit but like the the team is we like you know what i mean we lost our point of contact like a a while back and so yeah. now like we don't even like we've mm. reached out once before but then the one person was like oh you gotta like talk to your anr well, we don't have Right, and are anymore. Well, like, they, what, they, like, they provide you. I think the issue really is, is like you know, in like in any industry, and you guys mm-hmm. are going to find this as you as you get more into the business world. Is like, what have you done for me lately? Mm-hmm. And yeah. there would probably be a lot of interest in that song if you came out with another song that made it more timely. As, oh, as yeah, great yeah. as the song might have been, okay, mm-hmm. um, at the time. They look at it like what's always what's next, what's new, what's next, yeah, what's yeah. new. So it's like I, I for example, I was in the music industry and uh-huh. I signed Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh no way. Okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. That's awesome. I did, yeah, yeah. I had a company I was partners with a guy named uh, Steven Swid and Charlie uh what's that no, no, uh, what was his name? Uh Marty, uh, no, Steven Swid and da, 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 he was crazy, this guy. Anyway, a wild, wild guy, okay? Artie Mogul. Okay. Great name, Artie Mogul's yeah, right? a wild man. Artie <laughs> Mogul's dead now, passed away. But Artie's like, you know, because yeah, my wife and I, we don't really, you know, have that much in common. You know, her idea of a great, you know, weekend is to, you know, go off in our camper into the desert, the high desert, and, you know, go out with our two dogs and commune with nature. He goes, my idea of a great weekend is to be in Sunset Strip, with a bag of coke and a bag of a bag of heroin and two black go. hookers. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was like, and he was like seventy eight when he said that. <laughs> Jeez, he was a wild man. Sheesh, completely sure. wild, Sheesh. right? Um, so we had formed this record label and, and we signed a few people. And the third or fourth act we signed was Hootie and the Blowfish, right? Mm-hmm. And were they known at all before that, or was that no, kind of? No, was in a bit right of Atlanta, yeah. and someone found That's them. Awesome. It was actually this guy named Stanley Schuster, who worked for our company, had signed them, and, and uh, they went and cut this album that became incredibly popular with "Hold Your Hand," right? And now what happened was I was in a zillion different businesses at this point. Eventually, I just kind of like I just it wasn't making money, and we just kind of that was I had no idea this was even going on, right? Right. And then I was on my yacht in um, Cold Spring Harbor, Long Island. And Stanley Schuster's father, whose name is Harry Schuster, I think he's also passed away by now, South African guy, okay? Him and I did a lot of business together. So Harry's on my yacht, and we just whenever we're talking about something else, and the song comes on the radio, Hold Your Hand, by Hooting the Blowfish. And it's playing, and I'm like, oh, I'm humming to the song. Uh-huh. And he goes, doesn't that just burn you up? 
I'm like, you're like, oh, like what, shit. what do you mean? I'm like, he goes, well, like, that's mate, your act. I mean, he goes, like, you, you cost like a hundred million bucks. I'm like, <laughs> oh, what man. are you talking about? Wow. He goes, you don't, you don't know that you signed Hootie and the Blowfish at JR, <laughs> it was called JRS Records. I'm like, what? And he tells me the story. So here's what happened. So Stanley Schuster, his son, was in Atlanta at some college bar, and he hears this band playing, and he loves them. He gets up to sign on the spot, puts them into like some room, and they cut this album, like, you know, in some like small, tiny studio. Yeah. I forgot what it was called, the first album, right? And the key song was Hold Your Hand, right? And um, it gets released and goes absolutely bonkers okay but before it's released right before it's released they had they owed hooting the blowfish like fifty thousand dollars to like on the option to complete the contract yeah and steven swid i think he's still alive his girlfriend here's there's mistress at the time here's the song she goes, it sucks. No one will ever listen to it. And he listens oh to horror and he doesn't write the check for 50 grand and lets the song go. And they there got picked goes. up by, I think, Atlantic Records. Yeah. Picked it up and Atlantic Records made all the freaking money. Fucking Atlantic, man. Sounds like Atlantic. a family dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Family dead. Get him, man. Anyway, the point is so, like, so we had this. So we had, thankfully, and I feel bad for Hootie and crew, but. Thankfully, their second album sucked moosecock, okay? <laughs> because if the second, it was oh, the now. second album that would have made it like a billion dollar loss, right, you get right, it? Right, so thank God, because I, I would never forget. If, if yeah, it, right, I'd be right. out there like in, in, in camouflage and fucking paint, <laughs> and it's the girlfriend, the, you know, you go, with a bow and arrow, bow you know what I'm saying? Arrow, I mean, I, I can't present, you yeah. know, a convicted felon, I can't have a gun, I have to use a bow and arrow, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like one of those across the wood and the, with yeah. a fucking sight, a laser sight across the building. Robin like, Hood right I'm here. Fucking Robin Hood. Right? So, yeah, so it was incredible. So that was my experience in the music industry and it's really sad but it sounds like you guys still in spite of this right you learned a lot right yeah oh, no yeah. for sure so the question is what's next now you guys are you're out there now it sounds like you're more into behind the scenes producing music and yeah is that what you're doing yeah yeah i've been doing a lot of creation stuff we're still putting stuff out he has a video that's just coming out i have another yeah, video that... coming out in a little bit but we're just like yeah, putting stuff um, out yeah i mean so we have we have our follow-up song with atlantic records called haters which is like Kind of, kind of a cool song. Like, um, I don't know if it's like either one of our like real like styles, but like it's what came together with Atlantic, and that song just hit a million on Spotify, which is like a big deal. Like, like I said, like when Jordan Belfort first hit a million, that was the beginning of everything. Sure. So this song, haters, could still go bonkers from yeah, here, yeah. even though it's a couple years old. But um, yeah, I just released my new album, Crypto Rich, which I'm really excited about, and I have a couple other independent singles that are starting to pop. Well, I'll give off. you guys some good news. We're making yeah. the Wolf of Wall Street. Into a TV series now. Okay. It'll so you got us. It's going to be. So it's going to be either on, you know, I want to say one of the major either streaming networks or one of the big, you know, cable channels. You got to get that sync licensing going right? down. And, yeah, and, um, and who knows? Maybe there'll be a chance for you guys to do something with that. I can't, you know, oh, yeah. I can't promise it, but we'll That'd see. That'd be really cool. All right. So you guys now um, have a, a situation here with with Phil Collins, right? What's, so what's going on? So there's a little thing just happened. And when I first produced this beat, I didn't really think about sampling or anything like that. I just was making music, anything that I had. And so I sampled like one, the first one second of this Genesis song. And that's bum, bum, bum. Phil Collins, Michael Rutherford, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, and who's the other person? I love Genesis. Yeah, that's, that's all. Only the first that's notes. It. So, but really, I, all I did was I didn't even do the 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 beat is and they're suing you. So here's the thing: it was fine for a while. It was such a deep sample that you it was like. 99% of people don't notice. However, More. one of my lawyer friends, who is like this older dude, Andy Hurwitz, he was like, oh, isn't that that Genesis song? And I was like, oh, shit, is it like obvious or something like that? But basically, when we were making our deal with Atlantic Records, it came to a time where the lawyer was like, did you sample anything? What so it, song is this? Uh, which song? That's all about no, Genesis. No, oh, Jordan what, Belfort. It's in there? Yeah, yeah it is. That's the, the beat. The, the that's, main that's, piano riff, it goes like, dun, 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 so I, dun, dun, dun. So that's a Genesis. But, but I didn't I, notice it. I love Genesis. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's so oh, like cool. it's not a real sample. Like like the, you know, Juice World just got in trouble with Sting because he, you know, basically cut the entire Sting song and just put rap drums under it. I took like just a 
two three piano Hold notes. Hold on, let's hear blah, this. Blah, blah, blah. Show me what it. Show me this song. Let's get this. And see That's really, all. Yeah. Well, I want to yeah. see if I can well, hear the. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I'll, I'll bring it up right now. The thing also is like do, 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 we've do, talked. Do, 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 we've do, talked to do, so do, many do. people about this, and most people, like ninety nine percent or more, have ne- never hear it. But there is like there has been like three or four people who just like know exactly what it is. It's with one of those no things questions. like when you when yeah. you have your favorite song, you just know right. when it's coming okay, so on. Let's see. Right when it right when it plays. So what does he want? Wants money? Well, okay. So it's already it's already over. However, fuck you, Phil Collins. Where's my proper camera? Shots fired. I'm calling you out right now. Boxing match, 1v1. Shoots. Winner takes all the royalties. Um. <laughs> Whoa. So. Call the UFC. Dana White. Already? That's like, it was just the... There we go. Play it. Not even the... Okay, now where's Jordan Buffett? Show me Jordan Buffett. I wish I had my laptop and then I could just go... Because I have like 80 iterations of the instrumental. Because also to try and... It, like, we have, I'm in Amsterdam, which is... Like, during the battle, we could save money by... by dun, dun, dun. Oh, stop it. Yeah, yeah, really, that's it. That's it. Some people really recognize it. Some people... But like, it's, it's not instant. even... How it's, you say three beats make a song? Three, three notes together is off. No, no, no. It, it, I was so annoyed because it was like a songwriting thing. And no. I was like, it's just three notes. Anybody can use three piano and notes. Three notes. And, yeah, and so basically we went through like this whole thing of now we had to like figure out what, you know, organ Genesis used in the 70s so we could try and recreate it our, ourselves because we also had to pay them mechanical royalties. This is the big thing where I learned so much about the industry where I'm like, I'm never sampling anything. Mechanical royalties? Uh, you know, there's songwriting so royalties, much. mechanical royalties, and songwriting is more like the notes and the lyrics and the actual sheet music, what it would be. Would be. Mechanical is because I used the studio recording of whoever was playing the piano, him playing the piano. So we were, Oh, did you actually use it though? Well, yeah, well, yeah, yes, 100%. But like, it's just, I used it so I used it almost just as like a one single piano note Why don't you in the original. Yourself, the original. We, we did. So yeah. that's we saved money by recreating. We figured out what organ they used, and then we recreated it, and then we were able to save twenty five percent of our royalties. So now okay. we only owed the songwriting, but still, it was so like it was such a vague sample. You, you, that, wait, you the, saw to give them money? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We had to give them twenty five percent of songwriting and like five thousand dollars up front. Um, just for to what? Like use it. Yeah, right. Yeah, for right. what? That, that's why Phil Collins, baby. I'm I've been training. Oh, I've been trying. Come on, <laughs> that's ripped. fucked up. Yeah, and, 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 and it, it was like, and we, we were like, also at the time, like we were like young guys, like just let us keep the fucking extra twenty five percent. You know, I, I mean, like name, you have enough money, Phil I Collins. Have my name like, trademarked, and I didn't come after you guys. Right, yeah, right. right. I mean, literally. Thank you for you, but like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, wow. that, and that's the thing. Like when you're starting out in the music wow. industry, like you gotta look out for yourself because the labels, like to them, it's like, okay, this is going to us too because we own Phil Collins, so we don't care what they're those guys are getting. Crazy. So, yeah. However, right. a little bit funny. It's wow. his, his name is on. The Writing. copyright, like he is a co-writer. Phil Collins is a co-writer on Jordan Belfort, which Let's is just kind of funny. Dude, <laughs> like Phil it's Collins. like you know, he just like barely just kind of like on there, wow. just because we we had to pay him. So podcasting, what do you guys think about podcasting? Do you know anything about it? Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, well, yeah. It's it's funny because in like high school, we had like some tech classes that were like teach you how to do a podcast and we'd be on like MacBooks doing podcasts and I was like when are we ever going to fucking use this what type of old school ass shit is this <laughs> and then here we are in a time where podcasts are like yeah, crazy yeah, huge yeah, and like yeah. everyone is on commutes I mean, listening to like so our own podcast so tell me what do you think so okay so you guys I want you guys let's see if we can do a little collaboration here so how do you think that you guys can make this particular episode go viral what would you do to your let's hear it we got one thing we get, we just got a freestyle we got to get Come on, Jordan. We need you on a <laughs> beat, gotta, man. We, we need a freestyle. freestyle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we gotta look at a little Belfort action on the on the beat. So. Guys, let me let me tell you something. You don't want to have me freestyle. My family makes fun of me when I try to do that. <laughs> but I have a solution. I'm gonna call the expert in the family, and my son's actually an incredibly gifted rapper. Yes, yes, let's yeah. get him in here. Come on, let's Carter James. Let's go. Yeah, All right, yeah, let's baby. pop it up, baby Carter. Let's get Carter. Carter, no Lil right. Wayne, baby. I'll chime in every once in a while with a yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, hey. we in here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
One more time. What? Time. Now one time. time. Now one time. time. Now one time. time. Now one time. time. Hey, time. y'all, it's the drunken poet Carter James. One time. Whoa. All right. One yeah. Time. This medicine I discuss can mend what? Achilles' heel. Bend space and time, then reinvent the wheel. wheel. Appear to cold trolls with a keyboard to wield as venom steals his soul. This flow is my shield. Okay. Night shine my armor, my honor's revealed. Sealed yeah. inside my karma is a license to feel. I hope to heal crisis. My advice is be real. Though Midas, I'm touched by the curse of a deal. Pump trust with my team as I breathe in scale. Some cups filled with dreams we toast and never spill. Pips when I spit, my lips sign the bill. I will pen to send vibes, supply to give chills. Most nights, my own pride makes time stand still. Hit the mic, stands alive, just waiting to get killed. See, I ate a black mamba at the age of 24. Now I'm clutch with lungs, fade away on scores. Spin major, how my vocals modded in court. And this triad, sir, whether it's a course or Court, better be the force restored. A destiny's reward. I flow ecstasy. The songs of Moon Rock and Bob form. Assume God oh. dropped in the booth to see me perform. I moonwalk a talk grooves. The Milky Way is my floor. See, I gift light with wind pipes and rich life with swift mics and rift tight with pitch right. Yeah, you know it's right. Yeah, uh. No one gave CJ yeah. a chance to with the cards I was dealt. Carter. I gambled my whole hand. Lady Luck read a flush. My destiny did a dance. Hades' tongue did a rup. I made the fire in his land. Oh. I spit so slick. My wits the big bang. This oh. is star being born. You witnessed the whole thing. Touch your ghetto blow up. And then you'll have to explain. Oh. And say that I blew like blood's color in veins. It's called Vain. a James. It's called yes, a James. James. Yeah. Whoa. One Carter time. James. Yeah. Yeah. No little I didn't way. think you were really going to come through with the fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 This is Woo. the Carter No Lil Wayne, man. Yeah, exactly. we out President here. Carter, yeah. drunken Say poet, coming God. soon right now. Hell yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for coming. No, that was incredible. No, I love the song for both right, of you yeah. guys, man. It was nice being you guys. Thank Hell you. Hell yes. Right. Yo, that was yeah, badass, bro. You're the that's man. my boy. That's my fuck. That's that why I am bad with a fucking rap. Who needs Hootie and the Blowfish? How are you supposed to follow yeah, that up? I got nothing to say except Jordan Belfort and Carter James signing off on a really awesome podcast, guys. Thanks for coming. Buddy, you're the best. My son, I love you. All right. Amazing. Guys, share this with your friends. He's going to be more famous than I ever was times at that. Forget Hootie and the Blowfish or whatever. Yo, you're the My next. This is the 100 mil. Share this with everyone you know. Just Until just. next time, take care. Yeah.